This morning, I'm going to give, uh, do a teaching called Why Drugs Are Wrong, and It's Not What You Think. <laughs> I know that the, our bodies are temples. Our bodies are meant to be houses of prayer for the Lord. Our, our bodies are meant to be places of 24-7 communion with the Holy Spirit. And why drugs are wrong, most people say, hey, your body's a temple. And that's true. You know, we are not our own. We were bought with a price, and we belong to Jesus, and we don't have the right to destroy what's his, right? Um, but why drugs are wrong is not what you think. Um, it's the, name, the title of this, this uh, teaching this morning. Um, but I just want to ask you guys a couple of questions. Last night, we cried out for souls. Why do we have to do that? Doesn't Jesus want to save them anyway? Do you ever wonder? Like, why do we have to pray for souls? Doesn't Jesus want to just do that anyway? Like, or how about this? Like, um, you know, in, in Matthew, the, the word made flesh is teaching us. God, the God man Jesus is teaching us on the Sermon of the Mount. And he says, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. Like, don't worry about those things. And then just a couple verses later, um, he says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give us this day our daily bread. What in the world? So I'm supposed to pray every day for my daily bread and ask you, Father, for it. Why do I have to do that if I'm not supposed to worry about it? Because my father who knows, knows my needs before I ask. So if you know my needs before you ask, before I ask, and you're my father and I'm your child, and you told me not to worry about it, then why do I have to ask you for my daily bread? That seems a little bit crazy, right? Or how about this one? Jesus looked at the crowds and he saw they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and distressed people. And... Uh, he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest field. Why do we need to do that? Doesn't Jesus want to do that anyway? All right. Do you understand the questions here? I mean, this, this, you begin to set your face. Okay, I am going to pray for the breakthrough in my generation. We are going to see Islam fall to the feet of Jesus. In my generation, we're going to see that mosque that's on the Temple Mount off the Temple Mount. We're, in my generation, yes, we saw the USSR collapse and the lie of communism has been breaking globally since the, since the 1990s. But we're going to see Islam break in our generation. You set your face to this thing. And so you start to pray every single day. Two weeks passes, two months pass, two years pass, whatever it is. And suddenly you're like, wait a minute, Jesus, why do I have to pray this? Don't you want to do that anyway? And suddenly this seed of Unbelief sinks in. Why do you have to pray? And that's what we want to answer this morning. Before we get into the teaching, um, we want to establish a principle. And the principle is this, is that God will never ask us to do anything that he is not. If he teaches us to be generous, the God who teaches us to be generous, he himself is generous. If the God who teaches us to be thankful, he himself is, he's a thankful God. I think he's thankful for you. The God that teaches us to rejoice always, he's a God who rejoices. He rejoices over us with singing. Even in the midst of all the sin of the world that grieves his heart, 
He's a rejoicing God, right? So this is who he is. And um, Siri is getting a revelation back there, I think. <laughs> Shaka rabaka. All right. <laughs> okay, everybody, you want to take notes on this one, by the way. I really, really encourage you to take notes on this one because your prayer life might need the encouragement of this teaching over and over again for the rest of your life. In fact, what I love about te getting, getting teaching invitations on prayer is that I have to teach this over and over again. And so it keeps me sharp in my faith and in my authority to pray um, every day as an intercessor. Okay, Psalms 24.1. I need a volunteer. I need, can I get like four volunteers? Okay, come on up here with your Bibles. You can bring your iPhone Bible, whatever it is. Whatever scripture you got, it's still the word of God. All right, so, um, okay, you're going to look up Psalms 24.1, okay? And then my next brother over here, Genesis 1.26. And then over here, Psalms 8, 4 to 8. And then I need one more, one more volunteer. All right, right on. You're going to look up. Psalms 115, verse 16. All right, over here. Psalms 115, verse 16. We've got a willing army of volunteers. Mike, this is encouraging. We're going to take over the world. This is incredible. All right. Okay, the first scripture. You want to write this down. Psalms 24.1. Go ahead. Here we go. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. That's it. Okay. So I'm going to interview here off of what you just read. Who owns the, the earth? The Lord. How much of the earth does he own? All of it. Does that mean everything that's in it? Yes. Okay, read the verse again. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Okay. So do you belong to the Lord? All right. Does every single person in the world belong to the Lord? All right. So is it stealing from God if we don't follow him? I'll let you figure that one out. Okay, next question. It actually says um, that we are the sheep of his pasture, right? We, like sheep, have all gone astray, each one to our own way, but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all, right? We've all strayed. We've all stolen our life from God when we rightfully belong to him. And yet Jesus has made a way that we can come back to the Father, come back to the Lord, and we are his, right? Okay, next verse. This is um, Genesis 1.26. If you just want to hang out with me, stay up here. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Okay, so in this verse, if I could interview you again, um, who is placed in the rulership of the earth? Man. Okay, mankind is. So who owns the earth? The Lord. Who runs the earth? Man. Okay, can you read yours? I forgot my scripture. Okay, yours is Psalms 8, 4 to 8, I think. Psalms 8, 4 to 8. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with the glory and honor. 
You made them rulers over the works of your hand. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Okay, so how much of the earth has he given to mankind to rule over? All of it. All of it. So who owns the earth? The Lord. How much of it does he own? All of it. Who's in charge of the earth? Man. How much of it is the man in charge of? All of it. Okay. All right, your verse. Psalms 115, verse 16. 115, verse 16. Hopefully I'm right. The heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. Okay. So does that mean that humanity now owns the earth? What do you think? I just put her on the spot. This is the big question. Okay, you all can be seated, all right? Thank you, guys. You guys are great. So that, that last verse says, Psalms 115, 16 says, The highest of heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he's given to mankind. That doesn't mean that he's given us the ownership of the earth. It means he's given us the stewardship of the earth, right? Okay. So the God that teaches us to honor authority, you know, honor your father and mother, it's a principle of the kingdom of God that we honor authority, right? The God that teaches us to honor authority, he himself honors authority, right? So the Lord delegated the planet into the hands of mankind. He honors that authority right? God's hands are tied without working through the authority structure that he delegated. Because of his heart to honor authority, because of his character, God can't do anything on the earth without working through a human being. He can't do anything. Now that, that makes us a little bit nervous. I think, I thought you were sovereign, Lord. He is sovereign, but his sovereignty is exercised on the earth through his people that were partnered with him. Now, why do you think God would limit himself to that? Don't you think that's a little bit limiting? Why do you think God would do that? Anybody want to venture a guess? Yes, because God's a God of relationship, remember? He's a God of intimacy. He doesn't want to do anything alone. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to give the delegation of the planet. The rulership of the whole earth is going to be given to mankind. And together, me walking in partnership with man, we're going to rule over the face of the earth. As mankind, we were never meant to do it alone. We were meant to do it with God. But God can't do it without us. Amos 3.7 is this, this amazing verse. Amos 3.7 tells us that God does nothing on the earth without first announcing it through a prophet. Wow. There's nothing on the earth without first announcing it through a prophet. There are your, your words, you guys, you might not think you're prophesying sometimes. 
in my own life, I was, I was working at a restaurant, also working for my dad on the farm, and one day one of the waitresses looked across the place where you put the food up and then they take the food from the other side. She looked across the counter at me and she said, Jason, don't do this. God has more for you than this. And she was speaking to my occupation. She's like, move on from here, Jason. Don't be working here. Guess what? She, was, she didn't give me a big prophetic word. She was just speaking her mind. But she announced something over my life. And the Holy Spirit immediately began to work in my life to move me into my mission's call. Thank God for Audrey Lapp. That across the counter, she just said, don't do this, Jason. It's amazing. God will use people to announce the word of the Lord into your life again and again and again. Because God doesn't do anything without first announcing it through a prophet. Wow. That's incredible, isn't it? Okay. This is why Jesus, this is why Jesus had to come to earth as a man. He had to lay down his omnipotent, omnipresent, some of his characteristics that are unique to God that is not human. <clears throat> he had to become a human being. And, he, and this is the great mystery. He was fully God and fully man at the same time. Oh, what a mystery. I mean, we sing songs about the mystery of the God-man. That he, in, in his deity, came as human form, and he was fully human, and yet he did not sin. Amen? And yet he was fully the son of God, son of man. This is Jesus. But Jesus had to come to earth as a man because only mankind had the authority to be able to set this planet free from the bondage and the curse of sin. But now because of Jesus, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. His kingdom now goes to the ends of the earth as far as the curse is found. The kingdom of God is going to break the curse of sin and death off the earth. But it had to be Jesus, a human being, dying on the cross as a pure and spotless lamb, since only a human could have the authority over the earth to break the curse. And Jesus did it as a pure and spotless human being, and yet being also the Son of God and the Son of Man. Isn't that beautiful, you guys? So why do we have to pray? Every time I get up and go to David's tent in the morning, I'm putting God back on the job. I'm partnering with him, saying, yes, God. 12.30 a.m. and 12.30 p.m., we pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God to be poured out over the United States. What are we doing? We're partnering with the Holy Spirit. We know this is God's will. And as we begin to pray, whew, Holy Spirit says, yes, that's what I wanted to do. And now I found a human being to partner with. We're going to go do it. Amen? Okay. Let's look at Luke 4, 5 to 7. This is an interesting little passage here. Luke 4, 5 to 7. Someone want to come up and read this for me? Anybody? Looking for that willing army again. Luke 4, 5 to 7. 
come on up. I got to volunteer at 8.40 or 9.40 in the morning. Okay, so the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all be yours. Okay, so here we have, thank you so much, we have... Um, we have the devil and Jesus going head to head. And Jesus is on oh, the 40th day at the end of a fast. He's weak. And the devil just takes him up to a high place and he shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he tells Jesus, if you would just bow down to me, I will give you all of this. Now Jesus has a promise from his father that he's going to receive the nations as his inheritance. Jesus has a promise that he's going to receive the globe, the global body of Christ to be his beloved bride at the end of the age. He knows this, right? But Jesus also was sent to the earth to redeem the earth. So here Jesus has a choice. I could bow down to Satan right now and receive the nations because Satan's going to give them to me. Or I'm going to have to do the cross thing. Okay, so if God owns the world and people were given the keys to it, how'd the devil end up with it? We gave it to him. When we submitted ourselves to his temptations in sin, we gave away our authority. Okay, so, oh God, thank you. So Jesus, in that moment, he knows this, this is all about authority at this point. He knows if he bows down to Satan, Satan could give him the nations, but Satan's still in charge. He doesn't really have them. He's, at that point, he's subservient to someone else. And that's not who Jesus is. It's like he's the Lord. He does not submit himself to anybody but the Father, right? So Jesus, no. He, he turns him down, right? There is another way. Hebrews 5, 7 says this. In the days of his flesh, as a man, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus submitted himself to the Father and in intercession he cried out with loud cries and tears, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. He cried out to God, the Father. And because of his 
reverent submission, he was heard. And we read in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus, because he humbled himself, even to the point of death and death on a cross, the Father has, a, has exalted him now to be above all the nations. And we know that the Lord has given the nations of the earth to our beloved Jesus as his inheritance for, forever. Right? This is Jesus showing us. He showed us the way. We're going to take the planet back through reverent submission. We're going to take it back. We're not going to bow down to the things of the devil. We're going to do it through simple obedience. Simple obedience changes history. The circuit riders used to have a song about, they had a song with that. Simple obedience changes history. Through our reverent submission, we will take over the earth. His kingdom will come through prayer, through going. I want to read you guys a, a story. This is Dutch Sheets' book on intercessory prayer. If you're interested in the, the ministry of intercession before God, uh, to a greater, I highly recommend this book as a teaching book. Uh, Dutch is, is a great um, teacher on intercession. This is called A Galilee Jesus Becomes a Guatemala Jesus. Once in Guatemala, I traveled with a team to a remote village far from any modern city. There was no electrical power, no plumbing, no phones. Our purpose in being there was to build shelters for the villages whose adobe homes had been destroyed in a devastating earthquake. It had killed 30,000 people and left over a million homeless. We had trucked in materials and were building small one-room homes for them during the daylight hours. In the evenings, we would hold services in the center of the village, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, explaining that his love was motivating us to spend our time, money, and energies helping them. We had been ministering for one week with very few people coming to Christ. The people were listening, but not responding. I was to preach on the final night of our trip. Just as the service was about to begin, a team member told me about something he and others had found on the far side of the village. A little girl, six or seven years old, tied to a tree. Not believing what they were seeing, they asked the family that lived there, why is this small girl tied to that tree? It was obvious that she lived there, much like a dog in the backyard, nasty, filthy, helpless, and alone. She is crazy, the parents replied. We can't control her. She hurts herself and others and runs away if we turn her loose. There is nothing else we can do for her, so we just have to tie her up. My heart broke as the member shared what he had seen. It was on my mind as we began the service. A few minutes into my message, standing on the folding table under the stars, the same voice that had spoken to me before the trip began speaking to me again. Tell them you are going to pray for the little insane girl across the village tied to the tree. Tell them you're going to do it in the name of Jesus you've been preaching about. Tell them that through him, you're going to break the evil powers controlling her. That when she is free and normal, they can, they can then know that what you are preaching is true. They can believe that the Jesus you are preaching about is who you say he is. 
I responded to the voice in my heart with fear and trembling. I believe the words were something like, what did you say? Same instructions. Being the man of faith that I am, I replied, so what is plan B? Rebellion and failure came the response. Remember what I said to you before the trip began? Represent Jesus. Faith began to rise. The emphasis is not on me in this situation, I thought, but on the one who sent me. I am simply his spokesman. I merely release what he has already done. He has finished the work of delivering this little girl. My prayers release the work. I am only a distributor of what he has already produced. Be bold, sent one, enforce the victory. With new assurance, I began informing the people about what I was planning to do. They nodded in recognition as I mentioned the little girl. Expressions of intrigue turned to astonishment as they listened to my plans. Then I prayed. On a moonlit night in a tiny remote village of Guatemala, with a handful of people as my audience, my life changed, for, changed forever. Jesus came out of hiding. He became alive, relevant, sufficient, available. A hidden Jesus emerged from the cobwebs of theology. A yesterday Jesus became a today and forever Jesus. A Galilee Jesus became a Guatemala Jesus. And a new plan unfolded to me. A new concept emerged. Jesus and me. For the first time, I understood the heavenly pattern. Jesus is the victor. We are the enforcers. Jesus is the redeemer. We are the releasers. Jesus is the head. We are the body. Yes, he set that little girl free. Yes, the village turned to Christ. Yes, Jesus prevailed through a sent one. And so the partnership goes on, God and humans. But the correct pattern is critical. My prayers of intercession release Christ's finished work of intercession. His work empowers my prayers. My prayers release his work. Mine extends his his effectuates mine. Mine activates his. His validates mine. In kingdom enterprises, we're not in the production department. We're in distribution. There's a big difference. He is the generator. We are the distributors. So we go and we pray in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus, with his finished work on the cross took back the keys of authority from the devil and put them back in our hands. Go in the name of Jesus. Go in the name of Jesus. Pray in the name of Jesus. So why do we need to pray? Give us today our daily bread? Because in that prayer, there's a partnership with God that releases his provision in our life. Why do we need to pray for laborers? Because in that prayer is an intimacy and a partnership with God that through that intimacy, through that relationship, through that love, if you just stay in love, through that love, laborers will be sent into the harvest field. Why do we need to pray for the lost and plead for souls? Because through that intimacy, through those prayers, through that partnership, through that relationship with God, God is released to then go and release his Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why do you think all those people in the Middle East are having dreams about Jesus? For the last several decades, the church 
globally has been crying out for the Muslim world. The 1040 window. God, send Jesus. Through the partnership of prayer, there's missionaries going into towns in the Middle East, and they get there, and there's already a church planted simply because they all had dreams of the man dressed in white. What happened? People are praying around the earth. God hears prayer, and this changes everything. So suddenly, our prayer lives, you guys, are releasing God's kingdom. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord Jesus gave us this prayer. And through this prayer, let your kingdom come. You guys, sometimes you're, I don't know, you hear a statistic of what's happening with abortion. You hear the statistic of the poverty in this area of the world. Or you hear the statistic of the racial violence in this city. What's the proper response? God, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come here at Elam this semester like never before. Let your kingdom come in Lima. Let your kingdom come in the United States. Let your kingdom come in the streets of Chicago. Let your kingdom come. And through our lives of prayer, through our lives of intercession, the Holy Spirit, now, yes, I have found someone I can work with. And yes, now I can release my kingdom. Do you think that God wanted to set that girl free years before that? That was tied to the tree like a dog? Absolutely. But he won't violate his own character. And the God that teaches us to honor authority, he honors authority. And he was waiting for someone to go. When Jesus gave us the great commission, go into all the world and preach the good news. Making disciples of all nations. I'm kind of combining the Mark great commission and the Matthew great commission a little bit there. When he said go, he means go. He's going to reach the nations of the earth through us, through our prayers and our obedience. We need to go. We need to say yes, we will go. Praise the Lord. That we have this divine partnership with the Lord to take over the world for Jesus. And far as the curse is found, that we take the power of the gospel to break that curse and to bring blessing wherever we go. In the powerful name of Jesus. I love that Psalms 2 declaration in Psalms chapter 2 where, where David writes, I will declare the decree of the Lord over me. Today... You become my son, and I become your father. Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. Living as a son, ruling as a king. Our destiny is to be what? Children of God. Sons and daughters of God is our destiny. Even as we're in our 70s, 80s, we're like Grandma Mimi. We're still a child of God, right? Still a child. We're living as sons. We're living as daughters. As with our Heavenly Father, we're bringing our empty pot prayers. 
day in and day out. And then on the other side, ask of me, I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. Your heavenly father, do not, do not be afraid, little flock. Your heavenly father, it's his good pleasure to give to you the kingdom of God. We just have to ask him for it. There's, there is an intimacy in asking. There's a vulnerability. Ask any missionary that's had to raise funds to go into missions. There's a risk. There's a vulnerability. Ask any young man when he's asking for a young lady's hand in marriage. There's a vulnerability in the asking. What if I'm rejected? But in that vulnerability and then in the acceptance of that request, there is an intimacy created. Asking is intimate, and asking is part of our relationship with the Father. Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations as my inheritance. God, I ask you for the nations. All right, Jesus, here we go. It's all about relationship, and it's also all about authority. In the book of Daniel, records this great story. Israel was all taken captive into Babylon, or most of them were. There was a prophecy by Jeremiah before they were taken captive that they would be held captive in Babylon for 70 years, and then they would go back. Well, 70 years hit, and they weren't back yet. Daniel, in his empty pot praying, 70 years, God, what's up with that? And he humbles himself to prayer and fasting. Says he, I think it says in this particular scripture that he ate no pleasurable food. 21 days he prays until finally an angel meets with him. Angel comes to him and says, Daniel, from the first day that you began to pray, your prayers were heard. But I was fighting the prince of Persia. So there was a war in heaven between angels and demons. It's like, I was fighting the prince of Persia. It took him 21 days of Daniel's prayer and fasting until finally the angel wins, makes it through to Daniel. And the first words he says to Daniel, before he says anything else, was Daniel, oh highly esteemed one of the Lord. Don't you want to be cool in heaven? <laughs> oh highly esteemed one of the Lord. Like, he had a reputation with God, a high reputation with God. And then the angel tells him the message, you know, I had to fight off the prince of Persia. Right after that, a per the Persian king, Cyrus, a pagan king, makes a decree and ushers Israel back to rebuild the temple in their homeland and to resettle back in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. You guys, empty pot, like, I'm just going to tell you, people might look at my life as like, well, Jason, you're intercessor. I have those prayer meetings, too, all the time, where it's me and God, and I'm like, God, I'm so bored. I have no idea what to pray. I don't feel like I'm hearing you right now, God. When is it the next person's watch? You know, like, there is such a rawness sometimes when you just put yourself in a room with God. Um, I heard a quote, I don't know who it's by, but a quote I heard one time was, was uh, one of the great tragedies of mankind is his inability to stay in a room by himself alone. Like, and, and the evils that come out of that. 
And, uh, and so you put yourself alone, in, in the room alone, with God. And you're like, okay, God, what do I do now? <laughs> like, but here Daniel, like, he's just like, God, it's been 70 years. What do I do? And he just humbles himself in fasting for 21 days. And here his story is, is Daniel's empty pot praying. Daniel's intimacy birthed Cyrus's destiny that created Israel's history. They were able to rebuild the temple. And forever, we have this story recorded in the Bible that one man's prayer can change the course of history. If only we'll go to the empty pot and say, God, what's going on? Just start asking. Just start praying. One man's prayer.